Well, it's that time of year where uh, most of us, we often consider turning over new leaves and starting new habits. Some of us need to turn over new trees. Uh, We focus on uh, certain elements of our life that we want to be better. We want to focus on our weaknesses and try to see them become strengths, our frustrations, seeing them become joys. And we often call these sort of new habits New Year's resolutions. And I researched this a little bit, and typically the, the consensus is uh, they are to eat healthy, to exercise more, to save money, uh, to get a new job, lay off the alcohol, lose weight, stop drug abuse, never again call up a casual encounter, spend less money, quit smoking, read more, learn a new skill, spend more time with your family, and stay in your pastor's deck. I don't know. It was in my research. Not, it's amazing if that's on your list. That'll be fantastic. Um, at the heart of these resolutions, though, there's a desire to improve ourselves in some way, to do life better, to become happier, uh, to become a happier version of ourselves, to become the best version of me possible, at least better than who I was last year. And I want to talk more about that next week the motive behind trying to be a better version. Because I think at the heart of that is an identity issue. But, but setting goals are often a priority this time of year. We'll, we'll write down our goals. We'll establish our progress and keep record of that. And all this is good. I love doing this sort of thing. But today I want to share with you something that, that I've learned and that I've shared uh, for the, on the first Sunday of each year now for three years going. And I, I want to speak to you personally from my heart about something that I hold close to my heart, about something that has become a personal value of mine, and consequently is something that the Axis Church values as well. So I want to talk to you this morning about the priority of the Bible in the life of the Christian. The priority of the Bible in the life of the Christian. Psalm 19, there's many words that are used to describe the Bible, what we know is the Bible, and he uses several of them here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. More to be desired, law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, and rules, to be desired than gold. And then he describes it, he modifies it this way, even much gold. He goes further, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by these, the, the, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, the rules, moreover, by these things is your servant warned, and in keeping the law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, and rules, there is great reward." As a pastor, I often sit and have the privilege of listening to people's struggles and stories and fears, anxieties, troubles, and so forth, which is truly a blessing. But I often uh, will ask a couple things. I'll often say a couple things. One is I'll ask the individual if they ever just put it out there in this way towards God. Like, have they ever opened up to God in the same way that they're opening up with me? And that's called prayer. 
you know, it's just venting as you would, like putting something on a counselor, putting something on a trusted friend, putting something on a pastor. How, do we do that with God? We should. Um, most, unfortunately, don't. And the other thing I ask them is if they're open to hearing from God, right, through His Word. In other words, I ask them if they're consistently reading their Bibles. And it always makes me feel weird uh, when people ask me for time, um, when people ask to get my thoughts on a particular issue or something that they're struggling through. It's a joy, but it often makes me feel weird when they ask for that, when they haven't prayed about it and they're not actively reading the Bible. And here's why. Here's my logic. Um, Why care about what I have to say? You should care more about what God has to say. And it's not punting on compassion, right? I'm not just trying to, to go there and be like, okay, well, now you, you can leave. But, but the point is, like, why are you wanting counsel from me or anyone else, and yet you're not actively receiving counsel from God? Why are you open to my thoughts, and why are you going to submit to my suggestions if you're not giving that much to God? Does that make sense? Don't misunderstand me. Try to discern my point. It's not to produce guilt. I never want to do that. We do that to ourselves enough. It's not to produce guilt, but pastoral guidance in a way of thinking about how to view Scripture. You see, we often want to know God's will for our lives. We want to know how to make sense of something that we've experienced or that we're in the middle of. And so we'll turn to articles and blogs and self-help books and pastors and friends and counselors. And this is good, okay? But yet we'll often never consider reading the Bible and hearing from God through His Word. The reality is, according to a recent research poll that I looked at uh, that was conducted last year, only 9% of professing Christians have read the Bible all the way through. Now, my desire isn't to guilt or shame you into reading the Bible, okay? I don't want to do that, but I do want to help you. And so this morning, I want to present a case for reading the Bible, Reason is because I believe that reading the Bible every day is the single best habit for you. From that flows a number of other habits that will pop up along the way that are going to be for your good. I know there's going to be many that disagree with this. That's fine. There's many who don't like this, and that's okay. I'm having to trust the Lord and do what I feel like He's called me to do today in regards to the Scripture. There's going to be many who are going to go or to this the idea of valuing Scripture. There's going to be many who go to the radical extreme and misconception of legalism and, and whatever else, but that's not my intention. That's certainly not my desire. Many are going to think through maybe the reasons why this is a bad idea of having a daily regimen of reading the Bible. Um, and I don't mind discussing this with you personally if that's you. Um, I'm I'm simply convinced thoroughly um, that reading the Bible regularly is the single best thing for your life. For most of my life, I hated reading the Bible. I hated it, probably more than anybody else in this room because I was a pastor's kid, okay? I hated reading the Bible. Maybe that's a relief to some of you guys, okay? But for most of my 22 years of pastoral ministry, I didn't read the Bible. But I do now, and I absolutely love it. I love reading the Bible, and I know that you can too. Now, some common barriers to reading the Bible are not having enough time, uh, lacking the motivation and discipline, feeling intimidated, 
and struggling to apply the Bible to everyday life. In other words, just not seeing the, uh, the relevance, right? Like it's disconnected from real life. Well, friends, even after a Bible degree, a Bible college degree, and a seminary degree, these were still my personal barriers. Even after planting the Axis Church nine and a half years ago, I didn't read the Bible each day. It was boring. It took too long. It didn't seem to matter. As long as I had something to say on a given Sunday, I felt like I would be okay. And that sounds terrible to admit. But I would talk about the Bible. I would preach from the Bible, but I wasn't a student of the Bible. So in other words, I was a professional Christian, but I wasn't a personal Christian if that makes sense. Well, as a young boy, my parents encouraged me to read the Bible, and, and I, love, I love seeing these on my shelf in, in my, my study at home. But this is the very one, and for some reason, there's a white man dressed in Middle Eastern clothing on the front cover. If you know him, I'd like to know who he is. But this is the Bible that... Uh, strange, isn't it? It's really strange. Um, I'm not sure who that is. Um, <laughs> but this is a gift. I carried this for my first 10 years of life, every Sunday. Um, and then in 87, um, I was gifted this Bible on Christmas Day, 1987, from my parents. Both these are gifts from my parents, which, by the way, parents, give, please give Bibles to your children and your family. Um, it's one of the greatest gifts you could ever give anybody. Time, your time, and Scripture. And when you combine those two and you spend time with, in Scripture, talking Scripture with the people you love, even better. Um, but this is the one I carried for, for 10 years. Um, <clears throat> I remember in Sunday school, there would be this like checklist uh, where you could mark if you brought a friend. And if you did, you could write their name. Um, you could check if you read the Bible on Monday, you would put a check. Or Tuesday, you would put a check. Or Wednesday, put a check. Um, then you could, you know, put how much money you're giving or, um, you know, if you showed up to Wednesday night, RAs or GAs. Anybody remember those sorts of checklists? Anybody? A few of us. The rest of you are thinking that is crazy. Well, <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and I'm like, a, I think I'm a three on the Enneagram, best I can tell. And uh, so I love checking boxes, okay? It's like amazing. Um, and so I would check I didn't do the work, but I would check it to make myself feel better about myself. Because um, they wouldn't know. How's your Sunday school teacher going to follow up and be like, oh, you didn't really dream? Um, as a teenager um, in youth group, I remember thinking it was so um, like superior to read the Bible every day with that discipline. I admired that, but, but I knew that it required so much discipline. And I, on top of that, I only knew one person my age that read the Bible every day. He wasn't popular, he wasn't fun, and he did not make me want to read the Bible. So that was just that kind of that, that personal disconnect too. Well, later on as a pastor, I would read the Bible for a talk. I would study the Bible for a sermon, but there was nothing consistent, nothing systematic, nothing sustainable. You see, I guess you buy into this idea, slowly but surely, that you're good enough, that you know enough, that, that you've got it stored up enough in your life that you don't really like, need to submit to this every day on end. It's like you get to the point where you feel like you've arrived in some way that you can wing it, that you know enough to be all right. 
For some reason, a lot of professing Christians are convinced that they're okay and healthy enough and rarely, if ever, read the Bible and pray. So what happens, what we do is we talk a lot about the Bible, but we're rarely personally instructed by it. We're not being shaped and formed and fashioned by Scripture. But when you hear poor theology and something doesn't sound right, we'll often jump into the Bible. We're like, no, that can't, can't be right. Like, come on. Like, we'll go into it for an argument, right? We'll, we'll kind of go back and forth, and they start questioning you on your stance. You're like, no, I can prove it. Like, here, let me get the Bible. Man, you'll start studying to try to find, to, to give evidence for your, your stance of why you landed where you have landed on a particular theological truth or a particular question that might come up. We'll go into Scripture to get out, but we rarely will take time just to sit in its pages and have God tell us truth over ourselves about life, about who He is about who we are. Friend, part of being a Christian is being a student of God who sits with His Word. And a Christian is one whose life is in active and consistent, humble submission to God's Word. I'm convinced that as a defining characteristic of the people of God is their inactive, consistent, humble submission to God's Word. I mean, the Christian life is difficult enough. We don't need to make it more difficult by not prioritizing the Bible daily. Now, for most of my life and for most of my ministry years, I honestly knew that I was to take the Bible more seriously. I knew that I was to cherish it. I maybe even delight in it, but I simply didn't know how. Well, on January 1st, 2014, I remember there was a moment where I just committed myself to like it. I wanted to determine to like it. I wanted to stay in its pages until I found joy in its pages. And everyone in this room knows what I mean when I say determined to like it. You see, often we have to persist in something before we experience the joy of it. It's like learning a sport, riding a bike, learning a new skill, developing a new hobby, like Caleb, my, my, old, my, my middle son, <clears throat> 12 years old, he got a, a, one of those ripsticks for Christmas, all right? If you don't know what that is, I applaud you, okay? Um, <clears throat> it is like a skateboard with two wheels, and they swivel. And I've practiced this thing, and he loves watch, to watch me do it because he's concerned for me, not because he wants to see me do it. He just wants to be there to offer first aid. But he's gotten good at it. He's gotten, he's gotten really good at it. I got a crossbow for Christmas. I want to practice to learn how to do it. And it's frustrating not being able to ride a ripstick. When you see him do it so well and you try to do it, it's frustrating when you miss a target when you're trying to shoot at it. Now, many of us who are young parents and new parents, like you've learned how to change a diaper, right? It takes practice in learning. The first time you look at it, you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is an absolute mess. But, but God gives you so many opportunities every day to get really good at it. <laughs> you're fantastic at this now, right? But it took practice. You've learned, you learn a lot in your first two or three days of changing a diaper of a newborn. You learn a whole lot. And I won't go into that right now. But also, it's true with cooking. It takes time to, to become a good cook. It's like roasting coffee and discovering how to get the perfect cup of coffee with the, the certain flavored tones, notes, things that y'all talk about, and I just think it's total crap, but you love it. And you, you, the science behind it, and all this, like, oh, this coffee is great. And I'm like, where's Pilot? I just need some good coffee. You know? <laughs> but it takes time to learn how to be a good barista and to, to be a, a good roaster. 
or if you're learning a new medical skill, it's frustrating on the front end. It takes a lot of time, anatomy and physiology and so on and so on. And then you finally get to be able to experience the joy of what it means to know medicine, to be able to help other people. So you know how to persist long enough with things to find the joy in them. You know this. We do it all the time. And as I've said before when I've addressed you in this way, I know that if, if for those that are married, you know what this is like because odds are you didn't see your spouse and say, I'm going to marry you the first time you met your spouse. Why? Because it took time. It took active and consistent presence and attention with that individual. And then look what happened. If you enjoy unsweetened tea or black coffee, scotch, bourbon, or double IPA, I know you know what it's like to spend time with something before it becomes something that's tasteful, okay? My son Caleb wants to, he wants to play football. He wants to play in the NFL, right? I think that's a great idea. I've suffered concussions. I still think it's a good idea for him to play football, okay? <clears throat> but we work out sometimes, and, and some of the moves are, are clumsy that I have him do, and it's frustrating. And I remember being frustrated by these same things. I'm like, son, just like, you just got to stick with it, man. It's, it's going to get better. It's gonna get, you're going to learn these moves. You're going to learn this. You're going to be disciplined in a certain way that you're not right now. And I know, it's, I know you want to quit. I know you want to quit every second, not because it's exhausting. We're not even there yet. It's because it's so hard to figure out how to do the move to even get to the place of exhaustion. But just stick with it because it's going, it's going to help you. It's like my daughter Bethany learning how to play the guitar, like you, the developing of, of the hand-eye coordination, developing of the ear, developing of the calluses, like the times, like it's worth the time that you put into it, like my youngest daughter, as she's, as she's trying to, to, to read well and to write, or like my oldest son learning how to drive. These things take time. These things take time, and it's often a lot easier to quit than to persevere through those, but if you do, there's joy. My point is, we, we all are going to experience times where we'd rather quit than commit. You quit if you merely try, but if you commit, you're determined to try again. And as you continue to try again, something called habit is formed within you. And habits are, are typically these small things that we do over and over again, and we slowly experience the fruit of these routines, the fruit of these things that we're committed to doing. Well, six years ago, I came to the place where I observed that all Christians who I admired throughout all of Christian history, they had one thing in common. They went to bed at different times. They woke up at different times. They, they, they handled so many things differently. But one thing stood out. One thing stood out to me is they had a passion for God's Word. They had what I call a biblical habit. They had a biblical habit. They were committed to the Scriptures and think about the friends that you're aware of, the, the Christians in the past or in the present that you truly and deeply admire. Think about those individuals. I bet they're committed students of God's Word. See, reading the Bible is the main way that I personally fight the drift, that I fight sin, the main way that I pursue holiness. It's my number one way of, think, of, of knowing how to think, of what to think, of, of how to respond, of what to say. And without the Bible, I'm not sure what sort of person or daddy or pastor or friend I would be. But reading the Bible, is, it, it changes me. It is changing me. And my wife and my children can tell you the difference in our home today and six years ago, Jill has mentioned to me on more than one occasion the comfort that she receives knowing that I'm reading the Bible daily. She has attached 
my commitment to her and my faithfulness to her to, to fling um, adultery and staying faithful to her, she sees a connectedness there in her spirit. This is the way that she sees it in how I submit to God and his word. And she's comforted by that. Six years ago, I sat on the outside of being committed to active, consistent, humble submission to the Bible. But like those that I admired, I wanted a passion for the Word of God too. And I remember reading passages my whole life, like Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I would look at that and be like, there's no way. There's so many things I want more than God. There's so many things I want more than, than to know Him and to read about Him. Like, who says that? Who can be honest about that? Really? There was this huge disconnect between the passion I saw with certain people and God and the Scriptures and where I sat. And then like Psalm 119, 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And I would just think to myself, I don't get it. It's bitter, it's boring, it's dry, but I want it to be. And I would love for you to come to the place today where you have just that. Admit that it's bitter and want something sweeter. Man, if God could change what appeared to be bitter on my palate to become sweet as honey, I'm in. You don't have to convince me to enjoy honey, right? It just happens. Now, what if he changed Scripture to where it was sweeter than honey? That would change a lot of other things in our life. You see, we persist with a ripstick long enough, but we learn to ride. We'll, pers we'll persist with exercise, and we will become healthier. We persist with bitter drinks, and we learn to appreciate. If we persist with the piano or the guitar long enough, we'll develop a beautiful skill. If we persist in difficult relationships long enough, we'll experience seasoned, mature, deep love and affection. And my experience is, if we persist with the Bible long enough, we will experience a great desire for it. And we'll learn more of the God who loves us and we'll be less tossed around by the storms and we'll develop a deep and abiding joy and peace within. But often when it comes to the Bible, if it's not glitter, glamour, fireworks on day one, two, three, four, five, and so forth, then we're out. The moment it seems dry or boring, the moment it seems irrelevant, we, we don't persist. We can, but we won't. We won't develop this grit. We're not determined to dwell. We throw in the towel. We commit. Rather than commit, we quit. Now, habit, that's for all the other areas in my life, but not with the Bible. We don't persist. Max's family, I love you. I love you. And I want you so bad to learn with me, us together, to persist and stay in the Scriptures until we find the deep and abiding joy and refreshment in its pages. You're not good enough to wing it and you're selling yourself short. You're missing out on so much when you're, when you're not prioritizing God's Word. 
I encourage you to read the Bible every day of your life. Develop a rhythm, a routine, a consistent chair, a certain room, a reading plan perhaps, or, or some other good tools, highlighters, pens, pencils, checklists. I mean, there's been several married couples who've come to us for counseling. They've hit a wall, which, by the way, is normal. It's normal for marriages to hit walls. But they've come to us, and they've hit a wall in their marriage, and they come to us for help. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll think to myself, and I'll say to Jill, you know what? If this couple, as crazy as this situation may be, if they're submitting to God's Word, if they're humbling themselves to the Word, they'll get through this. But if they're not submitting to God and His Word, I'm not sure how this is going to play out. Now, I've learned a lot since I began this daily practice five years ago. But the practice of submitting myself each day before God and His Word is a greater practice than trying to get away from that time with a shareable verse or something to tweet or put on Instagram or something encouraging or, or, or something to tell to someone else. Now, those things are wonderful. When that happens, it's so, man, I love texting those things and, and sharing those things on social media. I love that. But that's not the main reason I go to the Scriptures each day. I don't go there for the fireworks, the glitter, and the glamour. I go there because I'm not enough. I go there because I've not arrived. I go there because my life is in constant troubled waters and I need a rock to hold to. I need an anchor in the midst of the storm. I need truth. I need something objective that the waves of my subjectivity can crash upon and it remains the same. I can't determine on my own what to do and how to react in such a day and age that we live in. God must help me. He must inform my subjectivity with his truth. He must guide me. He must be the captain. I'm a a ship without sail, rudder, or oars. He has to come guide me and direct me, and he will. He will speak to me. He will guide me. He will slowly change my heart, and he would love to do the same. For all of us. All of us. I believe that the most essential practice for each and every Christian is to read the Bible every day. It is the only reliable and eternal source of truth that we have. 2 Timothy 3 tells us all Scripture, I know, even Leviticus, it's hard to believe, but all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Because that is a process. So that the man of God and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 goes on. For the word of God is different than any book that you've ever read before. It stands alone by itself in a different category of literature. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friend, the Bible is God's authoritative word. 
His law, his testimonies, his ways, his precepts, his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his ordinances. They are all faithful, righteous, reliable, true, and to be received by faith as such. You can trust God's word. It's not mere hints on how to live or suggestions for success, nor is obedience optional for the people of God who are submitting to the word of God. We are to read it, receive it, trust it, and live it. The Bible is different. It is powerful. The Word of God brings us into a living relationship with the living God. We study the Bible not for our mere religion's sake, but we study to seek and know God Himself. The Word of God gives us stability and comfort in our trials and struggles. You will not be taken from trials and struggles, but it will help guide you through your trials and struggles. The Word of God will give direction in life and it will provide guidance in how to live. It will produce purity in our lives. God's Word is essential for becoming pure in heart. I love what the old D.L. Moody said. He said, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet turned on. Keeping the faucet of God's Word running repeatedly through your mind will clear out the gunk and the garbage and produce a purity that would otherwise not exist. The Word of God gives the reader joy. It gives the reader delight when you dwell in its pages. Friend, the Bible deserves top priority in our lives. We must be faithful students of God's Word, seeing ourselves as lifelong learners. We must not just study it. We must obey it. We must learn to love and cherish God's Word and read all of it. Read all of God's Word. One of the main reasons being is some of the most bitter, angsty, and judgmental people I know don't read Bibles. They just read Bible verses. They don't see the big picture. They don't get the full context. And they become very dangerous. Live according to all of God's Word, not just parts of it. And by doing so, you're going to discover a more complete and trustworthy, systematic theology that you live your life by. The Bible has so much to say about where we are right now, about where we're heading. The Bible says so much about what we're to know and how we're to live. The Bible is and forever will always be practical and helpful and relevant. But do you believe this? Friend, what are you doing with the Bible? What are you doing with God's Word? His Word spoken to you. He is the living God, the one who speaks, the Old Testament tells us. What are you doing with His spoken Word? What are you doing? Are you actively, consistently, and humbly submitting yourself to it? Friend, greater stability in your life awaits you. A deeper, abiding joy and peace its waiting for you. I'm convinced. Now, Axis family, when, when you don't spend time, when you don't spend time in the Scriptures, this is just a family talk for those who are part of the Axis family. When you don't spend time consistently in Scripture, you become a danger to your church. You're, you don't become a help. Parents, the same is true for you in your homes. Children, the same is true for you in your homes. Roommates, 
the same is true for you in your home. In any relationship, it's true, you are dangerous, particularly if you're a professing Christian. If you're not actively submitting yourself to Scripture, you become trouble. Your words become laced with a disgruntled, arrogant tone and nature. And you become infectious. And you become problematic. You must be in the Word. Your family requires you to be in the Word. Your church needs you to be in the Word. Those friends that work with you that are going to hell, they need you to take the Word seriously. Your neighbors that don't know Jesus Christ, they need you to cherish God's Word. Your future spouse needs you to be cherishing God's Word right now. Be a student of God's Word. And I hope that you consider this challenge, and I hope that you respond to this challenge with fervor, with dedication, and with zeal. And my biggest thing I've been asking when I've talked about preaching this week, you know, people are like, I'm praying for you, Sunday. I'm like, hey, pray for this thing in particular. Pray for this thing in particular. And as I prayed for today, for this time with you, not knowing who would be here, but trusting God would know, I prayed one particular thing, and I asked prayer for one particular thing, that you would simply receive this. I've been praying that you would extend grace to me. As I've, I'm, I'm trying to guide you towards joy. I'm trying to guide you towards fun. This is the fun Christian life. Cherishing Scripture is the fun way to do the Christian life. Maybe even the easy way between the two. It is a blast. It didn't used to be. But what I'm experiencing, I want you to experience as well. And I don't want, I want, I don't want you to allow the things that I've said to frustrate you. I, I, I would consider that the easy way out. Rather, I ask that you try to channel that frustration, which is a form of passion, I think, that you channel that passion towards committing to read the Bible more faithfully. And I've been a part of things like this before. And my, my cynical spirit tries to shoot down the argument, shoot down the logic, shoot down the reasoning, shoot down the motivation, and all these sorts of things. And so I ask that you pray through your cynicism that I'm all too familiar with personally in regards to this sort of practice. And that you would talk with me through your angst. If there's anything in what I've said that has come across as unnecessary or unhelpful, and let's do what a church is supposed to do. Let's work through it together. Let's do what friends are supposed to do. Let's talk through it, you know? Not tweet about it. But talk about it. You see, the, the point is, this is how God's Word is helping me most. This is where I'm receiving the greatest amount of change in my life. And so a couple of practical things, if you're struggling with Scripture, is, is one, persevere. Just don't quit. Keep at it. It's worth it. Another thing is buy a, a modern translation. The CSB is very readable. The CSB is very, very readable. I encourage you, buy a modern translation 
and stick with it. And then another is begin by reading the New Testament. We've got the, the reading cards out in the lobby, the Old Testament and New Testament. I believe it's about three, maybe four chapters a day, okay? And if you commit to it, you can do it. I mean, we put gas in our cars. We can read the Bible. Like, you know, if we valued it the same way, we would do it. And that's where I've, just, I've gotten to the place where I just value it at that point. It's, it's putting fuel in my tank. Um, but <clears throat> but uh, grab a, a New Testament Bible, read, uh, Bible reading card and just start there and read through the New Testament this year. And then next year, maybe go old and new. Or, or, or I encourage you to still to press through and try to read both this year. Maybe, maybe go through the Proverbs one a month, or one, one, one a day for a month, or read a psalm every day. Getting, I, don't, I don't care how this plays out. I'm not saying that it has to look a certain way. I'm just saying, man, you've, you've, got, you've got to keep this, this daily word before you. And then another thing to think about when you do this is compare Scripture with Scripture. That's called building a systematic theology. It's not taking something in isolation. It's looking at it in the whole, the whole of all of it. Where else does it say this? Is it true? Is it all the same way? Is it referenced the same way through the whole thing? And then you develop your opinion based on what it says, not in one verse, but in all the verses where it's speaking to that thing. It's called a systematic theology. And then the last thing I would say is pray and ask God to teach you as you read to reveal himself to you as you study and meditate. Because the bottom line is, is I'm asking you to find a sustainable, consistent rhythm of getting God's word into your life daily. Because I believe wholeheartedly this is part of what God has called me to here in Nashville with you, the Axis Church, is to create, to work to create a desire for his word in you so that after I'm dead and gone, you're people who read the Bible. That you're not dependent upon a particular person. You're dependent upon the Word of God. And you're checking what you hear from whoever it is that teaches or preaches or guides you throughout life. You're comparing it with Scripture. And you're learning to value the authoritative Word of God that knows no bounds and has no scope in its limit. Please, friends, become students of the Bible. I just want to be faithful in this. That's all I'm trying to do. So I'm sorry if it came across as something proud. Um, that's a risk that you take when you present something that you feel like you're, you're doing well, is that there's this sense of pride, and it's the complete opposite of that. So I hope the enemy doesn't sow this sort of false narrative in your spirit this morning, because that's not at all what this is about. I've got Twitter for that. Now as we conclude our time for those who are going to be reading consistently with me this year, as we discover healthy habits together, we've got to remind ourselves that our performance does not earn us extra credit. Charles Spurgeon says, Men will be damned with good works as well as without them if they make them their confidence rather than Jesus Christ. Put whatever it is you want there. Men will be damned with reading the Bible as well as never reading the Bible if they make reading the Bible their confidence rather than Jesus Christ. Be reminded here that the very devout and faithfully religious Pharisees and scribes, they read the law and the prophets consistently, systematically, and faithfully. They had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Some, if you put a nail through the entire scroll, they would tell you what word 
is missing as that nail would go through that hole because they had exactly on the page where certain words were located. I'm talking these jokers were scholars. And they missed it. The difference is vital between what they did and what I'm encouraging you to do. And I don't want you to miss it. They studied to know what to do. I want you to study so you can know who to know and what he's done for you. I read and I I encourage you to read so that you can know very personally the loving God, the living God of learning more of who he is and not just taking your preacher's word for it, not taking the podcast's word for it, not taking the terrible coffee cup graphic and its word for it, but you're going to Scripture and you're learning who He is, of how He loves, of what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. But friend, regardless of how well we read or fail to read, because of Jesus, God loves us the same and He receives us the same. This is called grace, this is called mercy, and this is called kindness. And I'm simply, I'm simply inviting you to learn more about the God who loves you unconditionally because of Jesus Christ. I'm challenging you to care perhaps more than you've cared about reading the Bible before. I'm challenging you to care. And part of that's asking you to pray. I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for our leadership. I want you to pray for our partners. I want you, if you're a guest, I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for us. Let's pray for one another that we'll develop a passion for God's Word. Pray that, that we would have a desire in our heart that's not there. If it's not there, ask Him to help you care. Okay, Say, the best thing to do, if you don't care about any of this right now, is to tell God you don't care about any of this right now. And if he wants to, he's going to have to create a desire in your heart, much like making honey sweet, in order to help you read the Bible more. Just tell him that. Don't just think these things. Don't just tell me you think it's boring and you're going to give this a shot. Tell him that. And ask him to create this desire in you. Say, God, make it less bitter. Make it more sweet. Don't be okay with sitting on the outside of such an opportunity. Ask God to create this desire in you. And ask Him to give you creativity and consistency when it comes to being a student of the Bible. Don't lose your creativity when you pick up the book. You're so creative. You guys are the most creative people I've ever met, ever even watched, ever been around. It's phenomenal, your creativity. Don't lose that when you pick up the Bible. So many have left so much behind to pursue something special in Nashville, Tennessee. Take that same fervor and dedication to Scripture. You have done so well in your careers and your education. Take that same drive and motivation to Scripture. Don't, don't, don't be inconsistent. Take the whole thing in the way that you do all the other things. Put in the time and you'll see it begin to change you and shape you. Well, I want to conclude our time with communion. I want to help guide us to the table, the Lord's table. And as a reminder each week of God's love for us, we take communion. As a reminder of Christ's work for us, we share in communion together. So Christian, this is for you.
And I want you to come and I want you to take this bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. I want you to dip it in the juice or wine which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. In the pages of Scripture is where we find more and more out about what Christ has done for us. And this meal is a picture of the truth that's found in your Bibles that you can read about and learn about more and more to make even this time even more significant and more special to your hearts. But if you're only thinking about this on Sundays right now, this meal loses its significance. But if it's something that you're constantly putting before yourself daily, man, this, this time grows so, so special. You have an opportunity to taste and see the finished work of Jesus Christ and how it is that God loves you unconditionally. He doesn't just love you unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally because of Jesus Christ. That's the difference between other religions and Christianity. He loves you because of what Christ has accomplished for you. And this is what we acknowledge right now together. So I want you to think through these things, pray through these things, and when you're ready, I invite you to come. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your help this morning. Thank you for this time that we could share. Lord, I pray that it be received, thought through, considered, Lord, at a greater level perhaps than ever before. Lord, I pray that now as we come to your table, Lord, that we would be reminded not just intellectually, but spiritually, down to our heart level, our emotions, Lord, the significance of this bread and this red liquid, what it symbolizes, what it means. It is a picture of ultimately what saves us. Jesus, this is your finished work that we're remembering today. January 6, 2019, the Axis Church is not forgetting the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're doing what you ask your disciples to do. We're remembering you as we take this. And we're asking you to add your special blessing to this time of remembering, that you do something significant during this time as we remember and focus on your finished work. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray.